Thanks for downloading UW Alumni Voices. Changes, embracing career transitions. Whether you choose it or it chooses you, change can be a challenge. Fear and the risk of failure often keep people stuck on the cusp, afraid to act. What makes the difference is filtering out the noise until only the opportunity remains. These alumni have embraced, even pursued, major career changes and learned what coming out on the other side meant to their careers and their lives. I think we're going to jump straight in if that's okay with everyone here. Wonderful. We're not actually going to start with us, we're going to start with you. What I need all of you to do, it's always awkward in these things, so what I'm going to get you to do is stand up. <laughs> Don't you hate it when the MC says stand up? You're going to turn around to the person either behind you or in front of you. You're going to give them a handshake, but you're going to give them the fishiest handshake you can give them. And then the person is going to rate the fishiness 1 to 10. 10 is really, really fishy. 1 is not fishy. Fishy is like... Conrad, listen. <laughs> All right. All right, off you go. Turn around. Person next to you, behind you. Really fishy. Give them some feedback. How do we go? Any any 10 out of 10 really fishy, wet, no good? <laughs> Did anyone give a really solid handshake? <laughs> All right, you can sit down. Well done. Well done. Thanks for coming along today. My name's Aaron Eek. I'm a graduate here at uh, UWA, just like all of you. I actually no longer wear suits. This is about as formal as I get these days. But once upon a time, I did actually used to wear a suit. That was at a time when I transitioned my own career from motorsport. I spent a lot of my time working around race cars, uh, wearing uh, overalls and head, um, headsets, standing next to race cars. And then I transitioned into a corporate job in management consulting. I do remember that time and I remember the emotion of walking into the office that very first day, going up the 10 flights, open up the elevator door, looking at the glass door and about to walk in and thinking to myself, what the hell have I done? I don't own enough suits. So <laughs> I walked through the door. I, at that time, I owned about two suits that didn't fit properly. Uh, and then so that first week of that uh, new career was just chaos. I was learning a new language in, in office world. People speak a different language to, to motorsport world. Uh, people dress different. People go for coffees. So it was a big learning curve for me. But um, I had some big takeaways. So my biggest takeaways were um, switching careers is it's hard. It, it takes a bit of effort, but not as hard as suit shopping. So during that first week, I think every single night I was out looking for a bargain because I didn't want to spend $1,000 on a suit. And I guess my biggest takeaway was you can do it. So hopefully here today you're going to learn, uh, well, you're definitely going to learn and be inspired by our great panel. A few takeaways, save up any questions, fire them away at us um, and come and, come and uh, have a chat with us afterwards. So with no further ado, we'll jump straight into our panel. It gives me uh, a huge pleasure to be joined by this panel, a very illustrious panel. We're going to start down the end here with Sandy Angie. So Sandy has broad ranging experience in diverse fields, combining design with legal and commercial skills. She's an architect and historic and project man manager for Historic Heart of Perth. She started her career as a lawyer in 1997 and has worked for eight years in Australia's leading law firms and accounting firms before returning to UWA in 2006 to study architecture. Sandy's current role is Historic Heart Project Manager, aiming to revitalise Perth's East End through the implementation of social and cultural initiatives. Alongside work on Historic Heart, Sandy has an architecture practice writes a regular column for the West Australian newspaper and has taken on the role of editor of The Architect magazine. Welcome, Sandy. 
I'm going to jump down this end now to Conrad Pierce. So Conrad is an emerging technology professional with experience in multiple industries. He's the lead for Space Hub Perth and CEO of Picasat Systems. Childhood dreams of becoming an astronaut have evolved into a commercial vision for space for Conrad. Following an international career and UWA MBA, he co-founded Picosat, WA's first space company building small satellites. Conrad is a space consultant, how cool is that? Advisory council member of the Space Industry Association of Australia and coordinator of Space Hub Perth. He's also a TEDx UWA presenter and recipient of the 2017 Woodside Oil and Gas Encouragement Award at the WA Innovator of the Year Awards. That's a mouthful. Uh, Emma Woods to Conrad's left. Emma has transitioned her career three times since completing her undergraduate degrees in 2000, 2009. Not bad in a 10-year span. She's currently a business analyst at IT consultancy Vilrada, who work with companies to implement new software solutions. She began her career as a high school teacher before holding multiple roles for a construction and maintenance services company and finally moving to the business analyst role she currently holds. She believes the key to her transitions have been perseverance, hard work and the professional relationship and networks she has invested in. And finally, last but not least, Lindsay Potts. Lindsay's experience covers leadership, effective, leadership effectiveness, team effectiveness and organisational change. He's held roles in Singapore, Hong Kong and Australia and is currently the MD for Lee Hecht Harrison, the world's largest career development and transition organisation. Whilst in Singapore, he spent 10 years as the regional HR director for Purdue Pharma and for Afton Chemicals. His focus and expertise is on building mindset agility to ensure a foundation for an expanded range of effective behaviours and leadership competency. This is based on a deep understanding of neuroscience and mind science. So a bit of a, a mind, <laughs> a mind reader, aren't you, Lindsay? Welcome, guys. We're going to jump straight into it. I'm going to dive back down to the end here um, with Sandy. Sandy, can you take us back to the time when you transitioned your career from being a lawyer to an architect? What, what was the emotion? Was that scary? It was scary, actually. So I when you were talking about wearing, you used to wear a suit and you don't anymore, the same with me. So I remember when I started, um, so I studied law and commerce first off and I guess I went for the safe option when I left school. Um, at the time, it was the early 90s, Australia was in a recession and you know the, the constant feedback I was getting is there's no jobs in architecture, there's no jobs in the building construction industry. So you know I'd done well at school, I was ducks and whatever and, and was kind of pushed into law and commerce by those around me and you know uni was fun and studying it and then you know you turn up for your first day in your suit and in those days we actually weren't allowed to leave the office without our suit jacket in the in the 90s and I, on the, I guess on that very first day, I was like, have I made the right decision here? And, you know, I kind of persisted with, um, with law. I was a corporate tax advisor as a lawyer. So I moved from accounting firms to a law firm, back to an accounting firm, until I realised it wasn't where I was, but what I was doing. And then went back to university to study architecture. You know, I'm a creative person at heart, and that was always my dream. And so... You know, it is scary. I'm not going to say it's not, but it's definitely like the best thing I've ever done. I just, I love my job now, and it's it's not so much a job, but like a, a 
portfolio of things I love to do that, that Aaron described. So it's not about, you know, turning up each day and working towards, you know, a promotion or a pay rise. It's actually just enjoying what you're doing every moment, every day and, and loving it. So, yeah, I think don't be scared, even though it is scary because the rewards are just so much greater. You talk, you talk about really loving what you're doing and uh, that reminds me of little Conrad when he wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> and you didn't start out in astronaut school, did you? You graduated from a computer science degree. How did, how did you work out what your passion was or, or did you need something to trigger finding your passion? Uh, I think it's a little bit, a little bit of both. I've, I've, always, I've always liked space since I was a little kid. Uh, but when I... When I graduated, I didn't think there was an opportunity for me here in, in WA or Australia. And, and perhaps that's partly because I, w- I think I was a very timid person back then and maybe didn't look very hard for, for opportunities. And as I, I guess, as I progressed with my career, I think it was always in the back of my, back of my mind. And I'd come back to Perth and ended up doing an, an MBA at, uh, here at UWA. And that, I think that was the trigger because coming back and I guess studying an MBA, uh, being around a, a wide range of people from different industries, you know, my, my fellow, uh, fellow students, got me to broaden my perspective. And at the, towards the end of the MBA, I thought, well, I could actually do this. And uh, my last assignment at, uh, at the MBA, I wrote about running a space company. And then when I finished the MBA, I thought, well, let, let's, let's try it. So I think the... Uh, uh, I'd have to say the UWA environment kind of was that trigger for me. So it's, it's sort of important to have the people around you that inspire that thought and the belief? Uh, yes. Um, I think the the most value I've had in my journey uh, up to the time I made the change at, at, and, and even after that is the people around me. Uh, I always try to speak to uh, different people, go to different events, not necessarily related to space, but it's those people that I meet um, that have different points of view, different perspectives that I've found really, really useful, and, and that's helped me to, to reflect better on what I want to do. So, Emma, I'm interested in your perspective and how you've got the right people around you, because you've gone from an industry that's very different from high school teaching into now an analyst role. How, how did you get the right people and reach out to a network? I guess, so my undergrad was teaching, English and history teaching. I did that for a year and then I transitioned to a different company. It was a mining and construction services company and I did a lot of different roles there. And like Conrad, I went back and um, did the MBA and I found that the people there, I guess it was the program and just the like-minded people and it's also the effort that you put into meeting people and keeping up with the connections and things like that. And it's not like you go out and you want something or I need a new job, I'm trying to transition, can you help me? It was just in the connections, meeting up for coffee, like, like-minded people, advice or people who were willing to kind of support you, I guess. And one of the things, uh, one of the people who I've found really helpful has, well, has been my brother-in-law. So there's just, there's one person there who I've always gone to talk to and has always helped me, but there's always different people, I guess, that you just reach out to, be it people at work, people who have had more experience, people who have done a similar thing, and they can just guide guide you, I guess, provide you with advice. And it doesn't have to be in the same industry or the industry you're looking to go into. It, it can just be about, I guess, your career and what you're doing. And Because it, it can be really hard and you're not too sure what you're doing or when you leave one industry to move to another, are you doing the right thing? So 
I guess having the right people around is really important. And sometimes, that, you know, I just message people on LinkedIn through maybe another connection who said, you know, I didn't know them, but it's just that you have to message them. Would you mind meeting up with me for a coffee? And people are pretty generous with their time. And I found that was quite helpful. But it, I think it is really important. And I think in Perth as well, because Perth's so small, it can be, you know, really helpful. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Lindsay, you've, you've made a career out of helping people with their own careers. So it's not even just a closed network, I guess, but a wider network as well. What, what have you seen over your journey about the way a career looks versus a job nowadays? Yeah, I think the um, these days uh, the labour market, the organisations, everything's changing, as we know, so rapidly. Um, and some people move from job to job. I think uh, the ones that are quite successful, so uh, the ones that have sort of mapped out... Um, a, not an end point, but a, a point where they're, they're targeting. You see a lot of people going down traditional routes, so I would re recommend if you're going down that route, get as many logos as you possibly can on, on your resume, particularly in Perth. If you're looking here, get BHP, Rio Tinto, and so forth. But I'd also, um, uh, these days as well, reframe your mindset. Um, because we're in a global economy, so just don't think of Perth. And what Emma was saying is, is right, reach out. On LinkedIn, you can reach out to anyone in Timbuktu and network with them on Skype. So the successful people are those ones that are sort of got a general idea of uh, where they want to head and they're not afraid to, to get out there and network with people. They're not afraid to, we're learning in there, um, fail, for instance. I hate the word fail. But you come with that mindset, I guess, out of university. It's around what I call a technical mindset around right, wrong. Going into careers, it's what we call an adaptive challenge. It's an iterative process where you're learning by doing. Um, and that requires failing. So, so to answer your question, I mean, some of the more successful people that I've seen are able to get a general direction, not a destination, and move towards that in an iterative manner. Talk me through, Lindsay, talk me through uh, the phrase creation mindset. You shared that with us previously. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think the, um, there's two life stances. Um, one is you can live your life um, defined and being captive of fear, fear of making mistakes, fear of up upsetting the parents, not being the filial daughters and sons and, and what have you, or a life based on purpose. Um, two different energy stances um, and that's understanding the outcome that you're looking for your intention is on what you want and you slowly move towards that purpose part of that process is identifying your values what's important to you what's credit might be autonomy creativity um, also understanding your purpose what's your purpose mine was to help people perform better uh, in the workplace and, and in life as well, be more effective. So, so I I'd, I'd tend to move away over time, if you can, from the fear-based thing, playing to not lose, and move into a stance of playing to win. Emma, did you have any setbacks along your way? Uh, yes, definitely. I was going to say, it, uh, 
it's hard going out there and meeting people and you know meeting for coffees that's a lot of what I did I guess the MBA I think like Conrad I'll go back a little bit I guess when I was younger yeah I was a little bit timid as well and then doing the MBA really helped me to I guess feel a bit more confident and go out there and the MBA is brilliant for networking and, and, and true true kind of friends as well and connections so it was really good that way but I definitely had setbacks. You, like I would go and meet some people and they're really nice and they will, they'll help you and advise you. And I remember it probably took me about a year and a half to t- transition to my current role. And I found by the end of the probably year and a half, it was really deflating. And I had been to have so many coffees with people up and down the terrace because I thought just, you know, and try and meet these people. I need to get another job. I've done the MBA. I've been in my role for way too long, like seven and a half years. I'm sick of it. So I just wanted to, you know, move on. And I was telling these guys that I went for an interview at a company one time and it was two ladies that I had met with and we went for a coffee and five minutes in, one of the ladies said to me, oh, you know, I'm just going to let you know, I don't think you have enough experience. And so it was really nice. It was really good for her to be honest with me at the beginning. But then the other lady, I could tell she just wasn't interested. She just kept looking over my shoulder and looking else, who else was around. And I thought, oh, why, why am I here? And it was really upsetting. I was like walking back to my car. I'm like, oh, I've been to so many coffees. I keep coming in here, keep getting all dressed up. And then I go back to work. And But in, in the end, it paid off and it is worth it. And, but that's the thing. You just have to you just have to persevere and keep going. And you do meet really, really nice people and people who are um, I maybe I was going to for advice, but they you, they become kind of connections, and you just keep catching up with them, and they become advisors and mentors, and it's it's actually really nice. So I can really relate to the the keep going, and I guess the uh, the evolving yourself. I remember when I first got into management consultant consulting, and uh, for any of you who are familiar with that world or watch shows like Suits, there's a lot of PowerPoints and uh, spreadsheets, and I'd come from a world of headsets and radios and rubber tires, and I used to get thrown spreadsheets and fake it till you make it yeah sure I know how to do that and I guess for me it was evolving skills and and Sandy I remember you telling us about your own experience about returning to study and having to learn the new technology and what's it like trying to keep the skill set moving in today's world yeah that was it was really hard actually because I mean I was twice the age of most of the other architecture students and they'd kind of been born with a computer in their hands whereas I think I only saw my first computer in like year 10 and so I remember even the computer teacher saying that you know my generation you know we're looking for an instruction book to work out how computers are where how computers work rather whereas you know probably you guys and and younger people do it all intuitively so that was a real challenge like kind of retraining your brain but you know so worth it because you know going back to uni and being challenged and learning new things I mean you know people that studied architecture you know when I studied law in the 90s you know are completely different in terms of their skill sets to to what the skill sets that I have studying it later in life so you know it's it's wonderful to learn new things and challenge yourself keep challenging yourself yeah, yeah. Uh, so we definitely have a, a bit of a theme of uh, I guess challenging yourself and relearning but um Conrad what what's the value of just if you've or if you've done a degree and, and the last thing you want to do is go and roll in an MBA right now what, what's the value of just getting stuck in a work and how's that helped you evolve from a computer science student to TEDx speaker? The, uh, the MBA wasn't, uh, so when I finished the undergrad degree, uh, I just went and worked and I think uh, maybe fear, as, as Lindsay was uh, talking about, kind of drove me to get one job and then make sure I had the next job and the next job. Uh, the MBA wasn't really 
wasn't really something I was thinking about. And it was only when I came back to Perth and I was thinking about, I think I need to do something different. And, and, and I think I was thinking about that for the last two or three years before I came back to Perth. And coming back to Perth was the, uh, um, I guess, the, the chance to, to do some new things. And uh, in fact, I remember meeting the MBA director at a, at a conference. And I'd gone to, uh, I was selling software at the time uh, in the job I had. And I went to the UWA stand because I thought I could sell UWA some software. And uh, uh, in fact, the MBA director sold me on the MBA. So it was kind of, uh, kind of funny. My boss wasn't too happy I didn't make, uh, make my target that week. But um, what she said was, uh, just come along and do the MBA. Um, you don't have, I, I know you, you're saying you don't have a, an exact goal yet, but you're thinking about change. And so I thought about that for a bit, and then I thought, okay, let's just do it. So it was only towards the end of the MBA that it was, I think it really cleared in my mind as to, to what I wanted to do. So that, I guess that's how uh, I ended up in the MBA, and, and it was only halfway through that the, uh, I guess things started to become a little bit more clear in my mind. And what are some of the skills that you've picked up along the way in, in your various roles in switching all the different industries? Because you've switched industries quite a few times. Uh, yeah, I've always been a technology person, whether it's computer programming or project management or business development, but it's been in different industries. Uh, probably the biggest skill that I've picked up is uh, when I finished my undergrad degree, I, I couldn't talk to people, I couldn't present. And I still today, to this day, remember my very first presentation at uni where I, I prepared, I stood up in front of the class and then I just froze and I could feel, I can feel it now, the flashness came into my face and I, I just stammered through the whole presentation. Um, but what happened was by just getting out there and working, you have to talk to other people, you can't work in isolation. So initially I was talking to my internal customers, so the people I worked with. So when you program, you have to do stuff for what other people want. And then it became external customers. So I think probably one of the biggest skills which I didn't have coming out of uni was being able to talk to people. And, and I gradually picked that up. Um, so sometimes when I sit back and think about what I was like as, a, as an undergrad graduate, it, it's quite funny. So, so I think that's probably the, uh, the biggest skill was um, just getting used to or just being able to just talk to people. Uh, and and as, as Emma was saying, uh, from a networking perspective, I don't like to use a network, the word networking, I, I like to say just talking to people. Um, that's really helped where it's just given me the opportunity to just go out and um, take a chance and, and have a conversation. So that's probably, I'd say that's probably the biggest, the biggest skill that I've picked up along the way without thinking about it. Yeah, wonderful. Lindsay, wh what does the term uh, transferable skills mean in today's modern world of working? Transferable skills, yeah, I, I think with it's those skills that can um, bleed across various areas. And I guess, um, you know, in today's society, there's uh, with technology coming in, so people have got to interface with machines uh, more and more. So what uh, machines can do is process vast amounts of information very quickly. So what we're seeing is those jobs that are uh, highly automatable uh, going to machines. And the, the skills um, that are critical, I see these days, we're talking about collaboration. These are critical ones. Uh, being able to think. Uh, when I first came to UW UWA, the, on the fir very first day, they said, you won't learn much here. What you'll learn is to use the library, read a book. And he said, if you're very, 
very, very lucky, you'll learn how to think. Um, and that was profound. It stuck with me for about 30 years now. Um, and in the workplace, we don't... It, it's different from intelligence. It's qualitatively different from intelligence. ability to access that cognitive power. And what we're seeing in a lot of places, people are, are not being able to critically appraise and think. So there's, there's these types of skills that are portable and... Uh, more important these days and I think it's critical that people are constantly upgrading to prevent what I call um, psychosclerosis hardening of the attitudes so just going to, down the same old neural pathway if you're exposing yourself to new things exposing yourself to change because Darwin was right it's adaptation so those people that can adapt, we've got a lot of digital dinosaurs in the workplace at the moment, and they can't interface with machines. And the other side of it, if, if they can't collaborate with people, so it's connecting brains and um, connecting computers are the two critical areas. I don't know whether that answers your questions, but... Uh, are those skills transferable across any industry? Across, yeah, collaboration, all of those orchestrative capacities, I would say, that right across industries, because uh, every company is becoming a technology company. Every single... Banks, um, even the mining industries, are uh, basically becoming tech companies. So your ability to interface with a machine is critical. The legal professions being disintermediated by machinery, uh, by um, artificial intelligence, cognitive computing. Um, so our ability to work with, with machines is, is critical. And, what, and identify what humans do best. That's interfacing with, with other humans. It's interesting what you talk about, about that evolving world of technology. I remember my life, BFB, before Facebook, was when I started my degree. So I remember sitting in uh, Somerville Auditorium over there, and the Vice Chancellor of the day said, similar to your experience, if all you walk away with is a bit of paper, you've actually not got the best out of your experience. And fast forward now to the importance of the tools like LinkedIn. Emma, how have you used LinkedIn in your own experience to expand and broaden your networks? Um, I think like I was saying before, it's... I started, I guess, with my small group of people that I knew or some, some friends and then people that I met through the MBA. I, def I think it's a bit not, not like Facebook. You can kind of connect with people if you just want to follow them. Um, and that's what I did with the MBA. Uh, you can just connect with people. It's like you might have met them once, but it's really good to connect because you never know when you might think, oh, I might connect with that. I might contact that person for a catch-up or if I'm going for a job and they worked at that company, then that can be really useful. Um, I think LinkedIn is, is really great. It, you can just, you can reach out. It doesn't mean you have to know the person. You can kind of cold contact them, I guess, and that's what I did a little bit, but on the recommendation of friends and stuff like that. But it's, it's just such a valuable tool for connections. And it's not just networking. I need something. I want them to give me something. It's just, it can be mutual, you know what I mean? So... Yeah, I found it very helpful. And that importance about mutual connection is so important. I know, uh, Sandy, you're not a big fan of the word networking. Mm. What, what is, uh, give me a replacement phrase or another approach for networking. I think community. So if you, uh, uh, yeah, I avoid network. If something's got an invitation as networking in the title, I just like delete, don't go. <laughs> um, you know, I don't think you should go into a room with the purpose of just 
net, networking. I mean, other people may disagree, but you know, I think get involved in things you enjoy, and through that, you'll meet like-minded people. So whether you know you enjoy sports, and you know the team that you're involved in, you'll meet people through there. And everyone's got a job, <laughs> almost. And so you know, you meet people through that. But you know, you, you'll connect on not just like a work level, but you know, for a love of sport, or you know, for me, I love art. You know, so joining like, for example, the art gallery and going along to events there and you meet like-minded people. So there's opportunities to meet people in so many different ways and, and through things that you enjoy, not just going to you know, a cocktail party or drinks thing and standing around and feeling awkward in a room. You know, go out and do something you enjoy and, and things will happen organically and incidentally. So I like that word organically. So we might have some people in the crowd who are at the stage where they've just like, okay, that's it, I'm, I'm making the change. Perhaps they don't know what direction though. So any tips on, we've talked about you sticking true to your values, pursuing your passion, any suggestions around how you work out what your passion is? Uh, well, for me, I always knew what my passion was and it was always, you know, architecture and arts and things like that. But, you know, it was due to circumstance in the 90s and going the safe option, as Lindsay mentioned before. So, you know, it's thinking about what your purpose is. So I guess, you know, when I'm looking at what I'm going to do, my, my purpose is always to make a contribution. So whatever I do, so with my historic heart project that I work on, it's about a contribution to the city, um, you know, revitalising, you know, a forgotten part of the city. With my architecture column, it's about introducing the people of Perth to architects and promoting architecture. You know, with my architecture work, you know, the purpose is accessible architecture. I don't want to do, you know, the really expensive high-end homes. I want to do, you know, architecture that everyone can afford. So I think if you're following your, what your purpose is and being true to yourself, then, you know, joy will come from your work and, you know, it's it's easy to find out what you want to do because things will just, you'll attract things, I think. I think I've always been lucky that way. You know, I've been offered opportunities and I've taken them and it's led me in a direction that I didn't necessarily know I was going to go in. But I think if you're clear on what your purpose is, you know, those opportunities will come. What's the first practical step that I could take if I want to pursue my passion? What what advice would you give me? You know, well, I think, um, you know, well, stu studying is obviously, you know, the great way to go, particularly if it's completely, you know, left a field to what you're doing. Obviously, there's a lot of skills that are transferable, but there was there was no way I was going to go from a law and commerce degree and being a lawyer into an architecture firm, you know. <laughs> that just wasn't going to happen. I had to go and study. So, you know, I think for a lot of things, if you are going to make a really big change, then then study is, is crucial. Conrad, um, when I was 12, I wanted to be six foot six and play in the NBA. <laughs> that didn't work out. Uh, what was the first step that you did towards being, a, you're not an astronaut yet, but towards being a space consultant? What was the, what was the very first step? Well, I guess space in general. Uh, once I finished the NBA, I thought this is where I, the way I want to go. The space industry in Perth wasn't very big, and it's, it's still quite small, but it's, it's growing. And I thought, what do I do? Uh, and so I started to look for events that was space related. Uh, and I just turned up, I just turned up to those. There were a few here in Perth, but most of them were over east. Uh, and so I used to, uh, used to fly over to conferences and just meet people and try and get involved in that growing space industry. So yeah, look, I, I had to actively seek 
seek out people in the industry. And, and now here in Perth, there's a lot more people working in, I guess, in the space industry. And space is quite broad. It's not necessarily just about building spaceships. It's really about um, using space and space-related technologies and information to help everyone here on Earth. Um, if you use your GPS to get here today, uh, you're using space tech. So, um, so we're all kind yeah. of astronauts in a way? Well, you, you, yeah. <laughs> you all make use of space every day. Um, and, and so what, what, I've, what I've found is that uh, now in more industry is more aware of that. And so if you, I guess, want to be a part of the, the space industry, uh, there are many opportunities for you um, with your existing skills uh, to transfer those over. Uh, and, you know, for example, uh, you know, if if you're if if you're a, say a, say a data scientist, so you, you're doing some data related stuff for a for a uh, a mining company, mining industry. Well, those data skills are really important for analysing images taken from space uh, of the Earth to tell you how um, what's happening with bushfires or how uh, how the oceans are going or things like that. So there's a lot of lots, a lot of uh, I guess there's a lot of uh, skill sets that are, that are transferable. Wonderful. I'm going to throw one last question at our panel before I think we're going to throw open for a bit of Q&A, but a couple of takeaways for me so far are persist, you'll get there, keep the skills going, uh, network, 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 but not in a creepy way. <laughs> <laughs> and we can all be astronauts. So the final question, Emma, I'm going to throw this at all of you. Emma, what's, what's the piece of advice you'd give yourself if you wound back the clock to when you made that first transition, if you were to have a coffee with yourself now? I think one of the main things is you've got to back yourself. And I've, I probably didn't do that definitely in my 20s and even starting the MBA, I wasn't very confident. I was thinking, like, what am I doing here? And it's reaching out to the, having those advocates and the people who know you and know your work maybe who can help you back yourself and just think you go into this role, you know that you've worked hard and that you can, I guess, do a good job and you, you can stand up with other candidates and, you know, make the transition. So I guess that's one of the things. Do your research, find people who can help you along or support you and provide you with some good advice and, you know, be confident and believe that you, you can actually do it. And I think the fact is that you were all here and you all want to do well. It's a Saturday, you know, Saturday before Christmas <laughs> nearly and you could be out doing something else but you're here because you want to do well. So I think, yeah, find those people who can help you and support you and, yeah, back yourself, I think. Get the fishy handshakes going. Yeah. Lindsay, a uh, piece of advice you'd give yourself if you were transitioning or talking to yourself when you were first making some transitions? Yeah, I think um, that networking is definitely one. So meeting up with people who are, you know, I was in isolation a lot, so I didn't really meet up with like-minded individuals. Now you've got the tools to be able to do that. So I definitely, definitely network with people. Also speak to your careers folks and uh, definitely, the, essentially what you're doing there is pulling information that's uh, pre-verbal you haven't got language wrapped around it. You're sort of a little bit aware of it. What you want to do is clarify that, make it very clear, put it into words, language, wrap language around it. Then you can articulate it at your networking events. And then if you um, talk about your purpose and your passion, honey to bees to a honey pot, people start to come your way. Wonderful. Conrad, same question. Uh, if you were to have a coffee with yourself, back when you were making that first transition, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, I'd probably say uh, act, act now. So I would have thought, I was thinking about changing careers and, and 
trying to work with my passion many, many years before I actually did it. Uh, and, and maybe that fear was, was stopping me. And I think about it now and I think, well, why didn't I just do everything that the whole panel has just talked about five years earlier, seven years earlier? So if you're thinking about it, act now. I like it. That, that sounds like a good title of your next TEDx talk. <laughs> and Sandy? Yeah, I, yeah, act now and be brave. Because I, I know when I first decided that law wasn't for me, I took a year off and I did this little interiors four-day, four-week course, and I thought that'll be enough. I'll go into interiors. Like the thought of doing five years of architecture, you know, what seemed a bit daunting, and and that was never going to be enough for me. So, you know, I kind of spent a year mucking around with this other stuff that was never going to be enough. Just, you know, if you've made up your mind, just launch into it. Be brave. You won't regret. Wonderful. Well, thank you all very much. We're going to throw over to the crowd now, I believe, for some questions. Hi, Isabel. Um, here. Um, great questions and answers, everyone. Um, I was just wondering if you've all mentioned how important other people have been to help shape your transition and your careers in general. How do you find those people and how do you make sure you've got the right people? Because there are people out there who can be or appear quite helpful and they're actually more detrimental. So how do you navigate through the sort of range of human behaviours and human people that are out there and how do you find the ones that are going to be the most useful to you but also the most enjoyable to communicate with? I guess, like we were talking about, persistence is key. There's a few people that I met with that probably, yeah, that maybe they weren't as, as helpful. I guess the people who are who are genuine, maybe like-minded that you feel that will help you. I guess it depends on what what you're looking for, I guess, in terms of certain advice as well. I think, I guess, it's persistence, is meeting up with a few different people. Maybe where they're at in their career, what experience do they have, what have they done in, in, in terms of trying to find people. I guess that would be some of the advice I could offer. There's no easy answer to, to that, let's face it, but I would say um, take personal accountability. Uh, if you're interesting, people would be interesting to meet with you. And you've all, always, I call them chicken eaters, constantly come and eat the food and run off. Uh, we get that a lot here, but never stop. Never stop um, giving. So it's all, it's all about giving. There's a lot of takers out there, but they're at an earlier stage of mental development. You'll always get those sorts of people. And it's actually good, it's a gift that you're meeting those people. Then you can be able to sort them out um, easier uh, later on. But I would say to people, and that's why I don't like the word networking either, it's about be being interesting, have something interesting to say, give something. Um, take some project something out there and things will come back to you i think i might weigh in i think uh the point that sandy made around community is really powerful so finding the communities that relate to what you're pursuing and resonate with you so conrad's example of getting over to sydney uh and i guess a, a really practical question you can ask someone if you've resonated with them one of the last questions you can part ways with is who do you know that you might be able to introduce me to so sort of that flow and effect and then exactly to Lindsay's point about always giving so can you connect other people as well in that giving giving uh, and maybe just to add to that <laughs> you, you need to be uh, resilient when you do this uh, and I've had to learn how to be resilient it, it's not easy and I, I don't know if I'm there yet but uh, you can meet people and you can come away feeling not the best uh, you just need to 
do it again and, and, and just try and try and try. Hi, I'm Olivia. So when you're talking to people about making that career change, how's the best way to approach it? You know, if you've been in the role a few years and you're feeling quite disenchanted and you actually want to appear like you are ambitious, um, I suppose how you can shed that career change in a positive light um, when you do have those conversations. Are you talking about the, the people who might be in the area that you want to move into or are you talking about the people that yeah, you're currently Yeah, I suppose just to? generally, like not necessarily in the job interview itself or anything, but just when you are kind of putting your feelers out there to see what is, um, I guess, an opportunity for you. Yeah, without seeming like you're kind of uh, bagging out your current workplace or that like you're not a good worker and not, I don't know, um, yeah, persistent. Yeah, I think just being, I don't know, for me, I always think honesty is the best policy. So just being upfront and honest. So, you know, I'm assuming you mean talking to other people, not necessarily your current workplace. So, you know, I don't, I don't think it's wrong to say, look, you know, I've enjoyed being in the current workplace, but I feel I've learned as much as I can. And, you know, it's time for me to move on. Or, you know, I think just, just being honest with, with, what you're, with what you're thinking. What I've found is uh, I'll ask people, for a coffee and and most people seem to not 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 all but most people seem to be uh, quite happy to share their knowledge it's like oh wow you're coming to me and asking me about things uh, I'm happy to share so uh, p people people are willing to uh, uh, to share their knowledge with you I guess you just have to ask and that asking is I guess is a hard part I felt like this when I was looking and going for interviews and I found that I, I wouldn't ever probably say, even though at the time I really disliked where I was working, but I wouldn't go in and say that to the um, people who were interviewing me, but I would just put it in a really positive light. Like, I, I think it's time for me to, you know, move on because I, I'm not feeling challenged and I finished the MBA and I went back and studied and I feel like I want to do something different now and this is the path I want to go down. But, yeah, I wouldn't, like I think you're saying, I wouldn't ever you know, um, say anything bad about my own company, but it's just more like I want to be challenged, I'm looking for a new direction, um, I want to learn more things, this is the industry I want to move into, or, or things like that, and it kind of, it makes it about you and the direction you want to go in, I think that is helpful. Yeah, it's a really good point, and um, yeah, I think it's about having those mature conversations, as as you go through your career, it's, um, and it has to be, it's positioned right. So the first thing is, yeah, I agree, never bag your employer. It's just a, a fit thing. My values has ch have changed. Your values drive satisfaction, dissatisfaction. It's not aligned with what I'm looking for in my career direction. So the reason I'm having a chat with you to explore opportunities, keep it fairly um, vague, I guess, and start that conversation with the people, because they'll pick up if you're trying to, people can tell whether you're trying to sugarcoat it or what, immediately, you know, all of these words are not challenging or some, well, it's better off to lay it on uh, and make it very explicit so the employer's not questioning, you know, what's going on here, was it a poor fit because you didn't turn up or, or these types of things, so, so it's about having those crucial conversations. And, I can share an experience of what not to do with your current employer. So twice I did this, you would think I would learn. So the first time when I transitioned from motorsport into consulting, my manager took me out for a coffee. He paid for the coffee and I told him I'm moving on, I'm going to corporate world. He 
sculled down his coffee and he sat there and he just stared at me. So I thought, okay, first learning, never get the boss to pay for the coffee if you're going to tell him you're about to resign. <laughs> the CEO was, was happy. He thought it was a good move. Then I did it again when I moved from management consulting into opening up a gym. I was, uh, it was worse this time. The manager bought me lunch and he said, uh, I said, I said, I need, a, I need a different challenge this time for me to transition and move on and, and I'm just after a different, I'm just in a different stage of life of, of, you know, I've achieved what I wanted to achieve in this role and he, honestly, he'd played a massive part in it. Um, <laughs> same thing, he scoffed down his food and then just sat there and stared at me. So my takeaway was don't ever do it over a meal that they pay for, but just be open and honest and, you know, life moves on and, and you're going to transition. That's a natural thing today. Yeah, so just... um. I know we come out of uni and we try and get a graduate job and I guess I think we maybe learn that that's the pathway into jobs is getting a graduate where you graduate job where you I guess steadied into it and people are there to guide you and so say you're doing something whatever and then you try and jump to something completely different how does that work in terms of becoming able to adapt like you may go study it but as we know like studying doesn't necessarily give you all the tools you need to actually carry out the job, gives you information about the area, but not so much doing the job. So how does that kind of work, that transition without having going into another graduate role? Yeah. Yeah, I think what Lindsay said before about um, university teaching you how to think, like that's just completely true. Like, you know, the job is never really anything like the course that you study. So for me, whether that was, you know, law, commerce or architecture, the, the work world is completely different to university world and, and, and what you're studying. But, you know, it does teach you how to think and think in different ways. So, you know, plunging into the workforce and, and getting that first job, just, just giving something a go and, you know, making a start and then, then you'll know whether that's right, it's not right, what do you like about that, what do you not like? And it'll help you then, maybe your next step, even if that's not quite for you, it'll help you, you know, move in the right direction. And Lindsay also said before, you know, it's about collecting the logos. You know, once you've got, you know, a couple of good logos on your resume, it's much easier to get a job. I know when I finished law school, by the time I finished law school, actually, you know, the legal profession was also kind of in a recession. It was hard to get a job. And I was offered a job in an accounting firm the year before I finished. So I just took it again. I went the safe option. I took it and I thought, at least if I've got my foot in the door somewhere, I've got that great logo, KPMG, on my resume, and then I can apply for another job. So, you know, other friends of mine didn't, you know, secure a job at the time I did. They ended up in a little you know, a law firm with just one person who was terrible and they learnt nothing. So, you know, go go for the good solid companies with a good reputation. Even if it's not your passion and you don't love it, you've got some experience and then, you know, you've got something on your resume to make a start and go for the next thing. When I started my current role last year, so it was a career transition, I felt like I had to talk about my transferable skills, I guess, and what I could do and what I could bring to the role as a business analyst. Like I had done something slightly similar in my old company, like implementing a CRM, but it was on the client side. It was like on the business side, not on like the consultancy side. So I kind of did have to say, 
uh, I don't really have all the skills, that I, but I've done the MBA and I've studied this, that and the other and this is what I'm passionate about and talk about what I had done in my previous role because I felt like I was almost coming in as a grad even though I had been in the workforce for what, almost eight, nine years. So it was just talking about those things, the transferable skills I did have, but I also didn't want to make it sound like, oh yeah, I've got heaps of experience and I can do all of these things and I can walk in and just do whatever you want me to do because I didn't want to be put in that position either, but I, I wasn't going for a grad role, so it was a little bit strange, but they knew that. So since I've come on, my, my, my team leader has been really good and I feel like he's created the environment for me. He knows I've got other skills, so he can work with me to develop the other ones I, I need. And there's other stuff that I guess you bring in terms of being able to communicate with people and manage things and being organised that I could bring to the role. And there's other skills that you, I guess you learn along the way. But I was honest, I guess, in my interview and that, that helped and that helped create the environment for me to learn those other skills without saying I'm a kind of, I'm a grad again, <laughs> so. And just to add to that, so while I've always been a technology person, I've always changed industries and twice, I've applied for a job where I wasn't, I didn't have the experience or I didn't uh, have the, uh, the knowledge of the industry. Um, and eventually, I ended up getting both those jobs. But what I had to do in the interview uh, and then after the interview was I had to show why, um, how, how I was able to adapt, how I'm, you know, it was, it was all this, I guess, the soft skills that, that really sold uh, me uh, to my bosses for those two jobs. So it wasn't about the, the, the stuff I learned at uni or the, the, no, the knowledge within that new industry I was going into, but it was those, those soft skills. I think, uh, Lindsay, you talked about collaboration. Um, it was also showing that I could learn about this new industry uh, and, and, and show them that I could do that. And so it, it, it's possible you've just got to, uh, I guess, look at what, what you've got and, and what, you can, what you can show. And also um, start your own business. Have a think about, um, I mean, these days, particularly with technology, um, fresh grads are uh, head and shoulders above um, you know, some people in organisations. I mean, if you look at GE, GE, it went from 30 bucks, it's now around, I think, 12 or 10 bucks. And a lot of these organisations will be out of business, so it's a huge opportunity out there to disintermediate these organisations and um, great time to start up your own business. Um, I've done it once before with a dot-com and one of the guys who went through MBA with me, um, doing some, you know, Steve Go set up the first online trading system. He was out of UWA, Sanford Securities, flogged it off to Commonwealth Bank. So I think you also need to look at what, what do you want to make with your life, so integrate your career into that, but don't be locked into traditional thinking. And A, enjoy it, make heaps of money, and um, don't uh, have a good life. I'd add from my own experience, I think it's good to be different. So I actually studied mechanical engineering here at UWA and graduated at the time when it was boom, everyone's getting jobs out of third year and I decided I didn't want to be an engineer so I became a personal trainer here at UWA. And I was different because everyone else was from a sports science background but because I'd done mechanical engineering I totally understood physics and biomechanics and how the body works so that, that came easy as a personal trainer. Then when I moved from personal training into motorsport 
was on the management and the administration and marketing side, so not building the cars. So whenever someone would try to pull the wool over my eyes about how a car works and how you bend the rules, I would say, actually, I've done a mechanical engineering degree. That's not physically correct. So that was a point of difference. And then when I moved into management consulting, because I had the whole sport background, I remember I did my entire case study interview talking about sport and thought, I don't know how that's going to help me. Turned out they really like that because you can put a consultant in front of a client that can talk about sport and really relate to them. So I think it's actually good to be different and just have points that you can draw out and then be humble, like Emma said. You're not, you're not necessarily going to go in at the same level you might do in the industry you've just come from, but be willing to learn, be hungry and think about how you can be different. So. Thank you very much, guys. I think uh, we're going to wrap it up there. So if you join me in thanking our panel, so Conrad, Emma, Lindsay and Sandy, thank you very much. <laughs>